0: Dear Prudence, dear Prudence, dear Prudence, dear Prudence, dear Prudence, dear Prudence, dear Dear Prudy, do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Jack Doyle, an LGBTQ healthcare advocate, historian, and journalist originally hailing from New England. Now here's our first letter.
0: You get to read our next one. Okay. Oh, you're just giving me all the, like, quite heavy ones. All right, here we go. Uh, The subject is spreading dad's ashes. Dear Prudence, my dad died when I was eight. He had three adult children from a previous marriage. I have not seen or spoken to them since. My mom kept his ashes all these years. She recently died, and my stepdad and I decided that when the current health crisis has subsided appropriately, we would like to spread her ashes in her home state. My father was from the same state, and I figured it would make sense to spread his ashes at the same time. My mom never totally got over his sudden death, and she considered him her soulmate, makes me happy to think that they'll be together. My stepdad is a great guy and is fine with this scenario. My question is about my siblings. Do I have a moral obligation to seek their approval, ask if they'd like to be there, or keep some of his ashes? We have a very uncommon surname, and it would be easy for me to find them. But it's been over 30 years, and they've never reached out to me. I have the same last name and a fairly uncommon first name. I don't live far from where we lived when my dad died, I would be easy to find too. Part of me feels like if they haven't reached out in time to inquire about his ashes, it's a closed case. But part of me thinks I have an obligation to ask. If I'm honest, the thought of reaching out makes me nauseated. What obligation do I have? What's your read on this?
1: You know, this is also kind of like the last letter. I feel like there's not much in the way of an obligation. So it's really a question of what are you hoping to get out of this and what would you like and what can you live with and what can you not, Uh, you know, I I think I would try to, to whatever extent you can release yourself of the burden of feeling like whatever choice you make is going to permanently affect your half siblings ability to process their father's death. You know, they've chosen not to have a relationship um, with you or your mother they've chosen not to get in touch about his remains for 30 years that's not an accident you know uh they may very well feel conflicted about that sometimes but that's a choice that you know that they've made you know yeah that's information that you have i think the letter writer is treating it like they don't have information like these siblings are kind of a blank slate and and they're trying to guess what they might feel one way or the other i actually think you have information that their preference is to not ask to not seek out information about their dad's remains and to not want to be a part of any potential funeral or memorial
0: service. Yes, absolutely. And I can really hear the anxiety in that last line of, of the thought of reaching out makes me feel nauseated, uh, which suggests to me that, you know, this person is not perhaps so curious and not wanting to Establish a relationship, which is totally fine, because, um, as you say, it's it, it it is pretty clear. You know, uh, even not knowing the context of, you know, the previous marriage or, or what have you, it, it is pretty clear that they have made some choices. Um, you know, I I think it's appropriate here, especially honoring your mom simultaneously, to, you know, have that be a moment for you and your stepdad, if that's what you prefer
1: yeah I think too part of the like potential like nauseated reaction was that sense of they don't say much about what their relationship like with was uh with those adult children when they were a kid before uh, their father died, but certainly as soon as he died, those people withdrew from the letter writer's life entirely
0: yeah um, which is
1: a choice for an eight different. year old's kid I think. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, that could have been be complicated incredibly but, traumatic. Even if even if they weren't like super close beforehand, like an eight-year-old sees all these relatives suddenly vanish and think like, Well, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I I guess mostly my my the thing I want to impart to the letter writer here is you have a lot of options. You are not gonna harm them, uh, by either not reaching out or um it's not re- like incumbent upon you to try to um, mend fences with people who years ago decided to remove themselves from the lives of an eight-year-old. Like, I-, I just want you to feel like what you're doing is a, a choice that you're allowed to make. They have not signaled any desire to be involved in this process. So if you decide to take them at their pretty clear word, which that word came to you through an absence, but that's still a clear no, you're not uh, avoiding them or ignoring their wishes or doing something kind of like underhanded and sneakily. Yeah,
0: absolutely. There are many other situations. I think if circumstances have been a little different where I'd say in most cases, I think you'd be obligated to tell them. But but I think here it is pretty clear what the relationship or lack of relationship is. And um, I, I think it's okay to, to have this, you know, be a moment for, for you you know, your family, um, who has been in your life.
1: Yeah. My last,
0: um, alternate suggestion would be
1: if it remains kind of eating away at you and you think you will feel more peaceful if you give them a heads up, I don't think you should do more than that. I don't think you should ask for their permission, but if your stepfather, for example, is willing to reach out, you could potentially ask him to just let them know, Hey, we're going to be doing a ceremony with, you know, dad's name and mom's name ashes at their state park, like per their requests next week, if you're able to attend, please. And again, all of this, right, is very theoretical because depending on where you live, you may not be able to gather in any kind of a state park or, um, uh, you know, they they don't say it's exactly a state park, but um, depending on where this is, you may not be able to congregate um, for a while. So Some of this might be something you can kind of put on the back burner, which would maybe be helpful as you sort of sort through what you want here. But yeah, I would say if you do reach out, consider asking your stepfather to do it on your behalf. Certainly don't do more than say, here's what we're going to do.
0: Let us know if you'd like to join. Um, You don't need their permission. Totally, totally. And I'm sorry about the loss of your mom, and I hope you're doing as well as can be expected.
1: Yeah, I hope you find it like a meaningful and a lovely ceremony. Oh, boy. Okay, so oh now actually boy. at least I get to read a tough one. Okay, go for it. Um, which is like... I have I feel like this thoughts person is, about this one, so... I feel like this these people are like setting up a situation where that last letter is in the
0: future of all of these kids. I know. know, it's very meta, like well-chosen here, but oh my god. Yeah. So the subject is bitter goodbye. Dear Prudence, I dated Olivia for three
1: years. It didn't work out, but I didn't want to pull a disappearing act on her kids. I had a revolving cast of, quote, uncles as a kid myself. It wasn't fun. This worked well for a few months. I even had the kids over last Thanksgiving since Olivia was working. Then she met a new guy. He didn't want me around, so Olivia went no contact. I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. It was a gut punch because I really cared about those kids. Recently, Olivia reached out and begged me for help. This new guy had wrecked her car and stolen from her. I told her I would give her the money, but only if I got to see the kids one last time. Olivia was pretty desperate, so she agreed. I went over with a few presents, and I talked to the kids. They asked me where I had been, and didn't I want to see them anymore. I told them I loved them, but that their mom didn't want me around anymore. I just wanted to say goodbye. I left and sent the money. I told Olivia never to contact me again. She left me a bitter voicemail about me trying to make her the quote bad guy. I just wanted to be honest
0: with the kids. Was I out of line? Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you be honest with yourself first? Uh, perhaps. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, um, that was brutal.
0: Yeah, this I had some really strong initial reactions when I when I read this letter. There's a lot going on here, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, this certainly is not just wanting about wanting to say goodbye to the kids. Um, it's about revenge and control, revenge. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. And regardless of intentions, the kids have been collateral damage in this. Um, it's not clear how old they are, but um, clearly they're young enough to really not be clear about what the situation is. And, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty clear... In, in gentle terms that you mishandled the situation um, and I don't really know what this per- what, what do you think this person should do next because I, I, I mean I'm really clear that you know I, I, I think the like you know basically making a condition of, of giving money to your ex like by seeing their kids and upsetting their kids is, is pretty shitty um, but I don't I don't really know what this person does next I mean, in terms of what's
1: left to do, I think there's not much left to do. Like the letter writer has already told Olivia, don't contact me again. Aside from that one voicemail of her own anger, it doesn't sound like Olivia is trying to get back in touch. I think that's the best imaginable future is one where the two of you never contact each other again.
0: 100%.
1: I don't think there's any way you can go back and have another goodbye with the kids that would make things better. So I I think in terms of like what you can do as a person is just consider Olivia a person who lives on the moon and who you can never contact again and do the same for the kids and trust and hope that whatever like healing or work that they can do on their own will be done without you. But yeah, I think I, I understand both that the way that Olivia told you great, stay in the kids' lives until she met a new boyfriend. Now don't. That was painful. That was unfair. That was hurtful. That was bewildering to her kids. It was a bad move. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Part of the trouble with any kind of custody disagreements, even if it's with somebody who doesn't have any like legal claims to the kids, is another adult's bad behavior doesn't mean you get to lash out because it's not the kid's fault. And they don't understand or it doesn't help them to hear like well she started it like all they know is that they're getting hurt additionally Yep,
0: yeah, exactly
1: it, it, it's not like these were adult mutual friends that you could contact and say hey olivia actually told me never to talk to you again i'd like to talk to you again since you're all adults who can make decisions about your own social lives if you'd ever like to get together despite our breakup i'd love to see you that would be one thing but these are children who have to live with Olivia and Olivia is their mom and so using the fact that she was financially desperate after being robbed by the guy she was dating which like yeah if you wanted Olivia to get punished you sure got your wish so using that as an opportunity to go over to the kids and say by the way your mom kept me away from you and now you'll never see me again go fight with your mom the one consistent adult in your life do you see how that didn't help the kids in any way
0: yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I do have compassion for somebody who's clearly saying that they had a revolving cast of uncles as a kid. It isn't fun. You know, mm-hmm. I I understand that the impulse or, or I I and I believe that you believe you you might have been having a good, a goodbye and having a connection with those kids, but but I think Danny's right. I think they are not available for you to contact anymore and you have to sit with the fact that you caused them harm um and you know it might come a time when you know these kids grow up and get in touch and everything but that's their choice and yeah um you know would not seek them out in the next few years kind of thing unless they get in touch with you yeah
1: Yeah. And whether or not it was your intention at the time, what happened was when you were with the kids, you saw an opportunity to further punish Olivia and you took it. And you took it at the expense of those kids' well-being. Yeah, Um, That doesn't wipe out every good thing that you did when you were in those kids' lives. It doesn't make you an irredeemable monster, but it was a bad thing to do. And it hurt the kids. And it probably hurt them more than if you had simply disappeared without that last bewildering, brutal moment. So, you know, let this one sit with you. Consider um, spending a little time in therapy, trying to work out both your own resentment towards the parade of uncles you had to uh, endure as a child, as well as how you can handle rejection, unfair behavior from adults as an adult without trying to use kids as leverage. Because that will be good to stop doing going forward. All right, we get to move on to a nice short one. The subject is married with arthritis and cheating. Dear Prudence, I've been married for a very long time to a man with severe arthritis who has had a few back surgeries. Sex has been non existence I get, quote, for better or for worse, but recently had a two-night stand with an old friend. I discovered I'm still a very sexual creature. My question is, how long do I continue as a sexless saint?
0: That chart is a phrase.
1: That's certainly a phrase. And I think my objection here is not the fact that this is a person with sexual desires and sexual interests who wants to be able to talk about them. That's great. Of course, that's fine. What I resent is even kind of jokingly, this formulation of like, because I wasn't apparently talking about my sexual desires to my partner previously, I've been a saint. Saints don't have sex. Saints suffer and resent other people in silence. Saints are martyrs. and that I think is just like a really unhealthy way of thinking about relationships and frankly, like puts a lot of undue pressure on your disabled partner for like being this cross you have to bear instead of the person that you're married to who you should be having conversations with uh, about your desires, even if they're difficult, painful conversations. So. Yeah, yeah. I I really object to that language. I think there's some ableism at play here. I don't say that because I think you, letter writer, are an evil monster, but because I think it will do you good to look at that within
0: yourself. Yeah, and and perhaps you don't go into a lot of detail about how your partner has felt about the fact that sex has been non-existent. But yeah, I think this uh, sort of moral language doesn't do your partner any favors and doesn't really... Speak to, to his experience, um, which sounds like a pattern perhaps because it doesn't sound like you guys have been communicating about this. In terms of how this person moved forward, I I think the first thing is to, to have a conversation with your partner that you should have probably had a while ago about just checking in about how you guys are feeling sexually and addressing the fact that you haven't been having sex. And identifying for yourself how important sex is for you in a relationship, um, because that's going to be the thing that determines whether or not this relationship continues. Um, do you think they they have to have this conversation with, prefacing with like, and I cheated on you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: I think it would be good. I think it's important
1: information. Um, I, I think that I also think it's possible to have honest conversations with partners about cheating that don't necessarily result in everyone falling to the ground, stricken and like never emotionally recovering ever. I realize that I don't mean to sound flippant in that. I just think that these are conversations that people in like long term relationships should be prepared to have. It's like something that can be painful and difficult and can lead to like fights and possible conflict and possible breakups, but not like, oh my God, how could this have happened? Like it happens a lot. People do it a lot we should be able to find language to talk about it. So yeah, I would encourage this letter writer to include that. Um, They don't have to if the conversation instead is just, I really, really want to have sex. What do you feel about sex? Do you think about it ever? Do you wish there was some way that the two of us could share sexual intimacy? Do you want to talk about ways that we could potentially include sexual intimacy with other people's? Does that idea cause you pain? Tell me what you think about it. If the two of us want different things, let's disagree openly rather than like I'll silently assume that uh you don't want something and then go on living my life without ever discussing it with you like the for better or for worse thing isn't just like never talk to your partner about sex if they're in physical pain it means like being with your partner, being present and one thing you haven't done with your partner in this is be present because your partner clearly doesn't know what's going on with you and you're not asking questions. And I don't say that to be like, this is all your fault. Your partner's the real saint. You're the monster. You've made some choices that I think you can make better choices around. But um, yeah, let go of the idea that sexlessness and sainthood are connected. Let go of the idea that sainthood is a good thing and start thinking about your partnership as one where you and your partner are both equals with an equal stake in your future intimacy and who are allowed to discuss options and possibilities, even if that means every conversation isn't smooth and easy. That's okay. You two are married for a very long time. You should be past the like, you know, froshed off string of like, oh, we never fight. You know? Yeah. After a lifetime of for better and for worse, you should have some really great fights under your belt.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is worth having a